Section 13 of The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 3, by James Boswell, Section 13. To James Boswell, Squire, Dear Sir, the story of Mr. Thrale's death, as he had neither been sick nor in any other danger, made so little impression upon me that I never thought about obviating its effects on anybody else. It is supposed to have been produced by the English custom of making April fools, that is, of sending one another on some foolish errand on the 1st of April. Tell Mrs. Boswell that I shall taste her marmalade cautiously at first. Timeo Daneo set dona farentes. Footnote. Whatso it is the Danaean folk, yea, gift-bearing, I fear. Morris in Aeneids. End of footnote. Beware, says the Italian proverb, of a reconciled enemy. But when I find it does me no harm, I shall then receive it and be thankful for it as a pledge of firm and, I hope, of unalterable kindness. She is, after all, a dear, dear lady. Please to return Dr. Blair thanks for his sermons. The Scotch write English wonderfully well. Your frequent visits to Auchinleck and your short stay there are very laudable and very judicious your present concord with your father gives me great pleasure it was all that you seemed to want my health is very bad and my nights are very unquiet footnote he wrote to mrs thrale on march the nineteenth seventeen seventy seven you are all young and gay and easy but I have miserable nights, and I know not how to make them better. But I shift pretty well the days, and so have it you all at Dr. Burney's tomorrow. End of footnote. What can I do to mend them? I have for this summer nothing better in prospect than a journey into Staffordshire and Derbyshire, perhaps with Oxford and Birmingham in my way. Make my compliments to Miss Veronica. I must leave it to her philosophy to comfort you for the loss of little David. You must remember that to keep three out of four is more than your share. Mrs. Thrale has but four out of eleven. Footnote. A twelfth was born next year. End of footnote. I am engaged to write little lives and little preferences to a little edition of the English poets. I think I have persuaded the booksellers to insert something of Thompson, and if you could give me some information about him, for the life which we have is very scanty, I should be glad. I am, dear sir, your most affectionate, humble servant, Samuel Johnson. May the 3rd, 1777. To those who delight in tracing the progress of works of literature, 
it will be an entertainment to compare the limited design with the ample execution of that admirable performance the lives of the english poets which is the richest most beautiful and indeed most perfect production of johnson's pen his notion of it at this time appears in the preceding letter he has a memorandum in this year twenty ninth of may easter eve i treated with booksellers on a bargain but the time was not long the bargain was concerning that undertaking but his tender conscience seems alarmed lest it should have intruded too much on his devout preparation for the solemnity of the ensuing day but indeed very little time was necessary for johnson's concluding a treaty with the booksellers as he had i believe less attention to profit from his labours than any man to whom literature has been a profession i shall here insert from a letter to me from my late worthy friend mr edward dilly though of a later date an account of this plan so happily conceived since it was the occasion of procuring for us an elegant collection of the best biography and criticism of which our language can boast to james boswell esq south hill september the twenty sixth seventeen seventy seven dear sir you will find by this letter that i am still in the same calm retreat from the noise and bustle of london as when i wrote to you last i am happy to find you had such an agreeable meeting with your old friend dr johnson i have no doubt your stock is much increased by the interview few men nay i may say scarcely any man has got that fund of knowledge and entertainment as dr johnson in conversation when he opens freely every one is attentive to what he says and cannot fail of improvement as well as pleasure the edition of the poets now printing will do honour to the english press and a concise account of the life of each author by dr johnson will be a very valuable addition and stamp the reputation of this edition superior to anything that has gone before the first cause that gave rise to this undertaking i believe was owing to the little trifling edition of the poets printing by the martins at edinburgh and to be sold by bell in london upon examining the volumes which were printed the type was so extremely small that many persons could not read them not only this inconvenience attended it but the inaccuracy of the press was very conspicuous these reasons as well as the idea of an invasion of what we call our literary property induced the london booksellers to print an elegant and accurate edition of all the english poets of reputation from chaucer to the present time accordingly a select number of the most respectable booksellers met on the occasion and on consulting together agreed that all the proprietors of copyright in the various poets 
should be summoned together and when their opinions were given to proceed immediately on the business accordingly a meeting was held consisting of about forty of the most respectable booksellers of london when it was agreed that an elegant and uniform edition of the english poets should be immediately printed with a concise account of the life of each author by dr samuel johnson and that three persons should be deputed to wait upon dr johnson to solicit him to undertake the lives namely t davies strawn and cadell the doctor very politely undertook it and he seemed exceedingly pleased with the proposal as to the terms it was left entirely to the doctor to name his own he mentioned two hundred guineas footnote johnson's moderation in demanding so small a sum is extraordinary had he asked one thousand or even fifteen hundred guineas the booksellers who knew the value of his name would doubtless have readily given it they have probably got five thousand guineas by this work in the course of twenty-five years malone End of footnote. it was immediately agreed to and a farther compliment i believe will be made him a committee was likewise appointed to engage the best engravers namely bartolozzi sherwin hall etc likewise another committee for giving directions about the paper printing etc so that the whole will be conducted with spirit and in the best manner with respect to authorship editorship engravings etc etc my brother will give you a list of the poets we mean to give many of which are within the time of the act of queen anne which martin and bell cannot give as they have no property in them the proprietors are almost all the booksellers in london of consequence i am dear sir ever yours edward dilly i shall afterwards have occasion to consider the extensive and varied range which johnson took when he was once led upon ground which he trod with a peculiar delight having long been intimately acquainted with all the circumstances of it that could interest and please dr johnson to charles o'connor esq footnote mr joseph cooper walker of the treasury dublin who obligingly communicated to me this and a former letter from dr johnson to the same gentleman writes to me as follows perhaps it would gratify you to have some account of mr o'connor he is an amiable learned venerable old gentleman of an independent fortune who lives at belnagar in the county of roscommon he is an admired writer and member of the irish academy the above letter is alluded to in the preface to the second edition of his dissertations page three mr o'connor afterwards died at the age of eighty-two see a well-drawn character of him in the gentleman's magazine for august seventeen ninety one end of footnote sir having had the pleasure of conversing with dr campbell about your character and your literary undertaking 
I am resolved to gratify myself by renewing a correspondence which began and ended a great while ago, and ended, I am afraid, by my fault, a fault which, if you have not forgotten it, you must now forgive. If I have ever disappointed you, give me leave to tell you that you have likewise disappointed me. I expected great discoveries in Irish antiquity, and large publications in the Irish language, but the world still remains as it was, doubtful and ignorant. What the Irish language is in itself, and to what languages it has affinity, are very interesting questions, which every man wishes to see resolved that has any philological or historical curiosity. Dr. Leland begins his history too late. The ages which deserve an exact inquiry are those times, for such they were, when Ireland was the school of the West, the quiet habitation of sanctity and literature. If you could give a history, though imperfect, of the Irish nation, from its conversion to Christianity to the invasion from England, you would amplify knowledge with new views and new objects. Set about it, therefore, if you can. Do what you can easily do without anxious exactness. Lay the foundation and leave the superstructure to posterity. I am, sir, your most humble servant, Samuel Johnson, May 19th, 1777. Early in this year came out, in two volumes quarto, the posthumous works of the learned Dr. Zachary Pierce, Bishop of Rochester, being a commentary with notes on the four evangelists and the Acts of the Apostles, with other theological pieces. Johnson had now an opportunity of making a grateful return to that excellent prelate, who, we have seen, was the only person who gave him any assistance in the compilation of his dictionary. The bishop had left some account of his life and character written by himself. To this Johnson made some valuable additions. Footnote. Johnson had not heard of Pierce's sermons, which I wondered at, considering that he wrote all the life published by the chaplain Darby, except what his lordship wrote himself. End of footnote. And also furnished to the editor, the Reverend Mr. Darby, a dedication, which I shall here insert, both because it will appear at this time with peculiar propriety, and because it will tend to propagate and increase that fervour of loyalty which in me who boast of the name of Tory is not only a principle but a passion. Footnote. Boswell, it seems, is here quoting himself. See his Hebrides, September thirteenth, 1773, where, however, he lays the emphasis differently, writing fervour of loyalty. End of footnote. To the King, Sir, I presume to lay before your Majesty the last labours of a learned bishop who died in the toils and duties of his calling. Footnote. 
an old acquaintance of the bishop says that he struggled hard ten years ago to resign his bishopric and the deanery of westminster in which our gracious king was willing to gratify him but upon a consultation of the bishops they thought it could not be done with propriety yet he was permitted to resign the deanery End of footnote. he is now beyond the reach of all earthly honours and rewards and only the hope of inciting others to imitate him makes it now fit to be remembered that he enjoyed in his life the favour of your majesty the tumultuary life of princes seldom permits them to survey the wide extent of national interest without losing sight of private merit to exhibit qualities which may be imitated by the highest and the humblest of mankind and to be at once amiable and great such characters if now and then they appear in history are contemplated with admiration may it be the ambition of all your subjects to make haste with their tribute of reference and as posterity may learn from your majesty how kings should live may they learn likewise from your people how they should be honoured i am may it please your majesty with the most profound respect your majesty's most dutiful and devoted subject and servant in the summer he wrote a prologue which was spoken before a word to the wise a comedy by mr hugh kelly which had been brought upon the stage in 1770. Footnote. This person, it is said, was a stay-maker, but being a man of wit and parts, he betook himself to study, and at a time when the discipline of the inns of court was scandalously lax, got himself called to the bar, and practised at the court sessions under me, but with little success. He became the conductor of a paper called The Public Ledger, and a writer for the stage, in which he met with some encouragement, till it was insinuated that he was a pensioner of the minister, and therefore a fit object of patriotic vengeance. End of footnote. But he being a writer for ministry in one of the newspapers, it fell a sacrifice to popular fury and in the playhouse phrase was damned by the generosity of mr harris the proprietor of covent garden theatre it was now exhibited for one night for the benefit of the author's widow and children to conciliate the favour of the audience was the intention of johnson's prologue which as it is not long i shall here insert as a proof that his poetical talents were in no degree impaired. This night presents a play which public rage or right or wrong once hooted from the stage. From zeal or malice now no more we dread, for English vengeance wars not with the dead. A generous foe regards with pitying eye the man whom fate has laid where all must lie, to wit, reviving from its author's dust, be kind, ye judges, or at least be just, 
let no renewed hostilities invade the oblivious graves inviolable shade let one great payment every claim appease and him who cannot hurt allow to please to please by scenes unconscious of offence by harmless merriment or useful sense where aught of bright or fair the peace displays approve it only tis too late to praise if want of skill or want of care appear forbear to hiss the poet cannot hear by all like him must praise and blame be found at last a fleeting gleam or empty sound yet then shall calm reflection bless the night when liberal pity dignified delight when pleasure fired her torch at virtue's flame and mirth was bounty with an humbler name Footnote. this address had the desired effect the play was well received johnson wrote to mrs thrale from lichfield lucy his stepdaughter thinks nothing of my prologue for kelly and says she has always disowned it End of footnote. a circumstance which could not fail to be very pleasing to johnson occurred this year the tragedy of sir thomas overbury written by his early companion in london richard savage footnote it was composed at a time when savage was generally without lodging and often without meat much of it was written with pen and ink that were borrowed on paper that had been picked up in the streets the unhappy poet was obliged to submit himself wholly to the players and admit with whatever reluctance the emendations of mr Sibber, which he always considered as the disgrace of his performance when it was brought out he himself took the part of overbury he was so much ashamed of having been reduced to appear as a player that he always blotted out his name from the list when a copy of his tragedy was to be shown to his friends End of footnote. was brought out with alterations at drury lane theatre footnote it was not at drury lane but at covent garden theatre that it was acted malone End of footnote. The prologue to it was written by Mr. Richard Brinsley Sheridan, in which, after describing very pathetically the wretchedness of ill-fated savage, at whose birth was given no parent the muse, no friend but heaven, he introduced an elegant compliment to Johnson on his dictionary that wonderful performance which cannot be too often or too highly praised of which mr harris in his philological inquiries justly and liberally observes such is its merit that our language does not possess a more copious learned and valuable work the concluding lines of this prologue were these so pleads the tale that gives to future times the son's misfortunes and the parent's crimes 
there shall his fame if owned to-night survive fixed by the hand that bids our language live mr sheridan here at once did honour to his taste and to his liberality of sentiment by showing that he was not prejudiced from the unlucky difference which had taken place between his worthy father and dr johnson i have already mentioned that johnson was very desirous of reconciliation with old mr sheridan it will therefore not seem at all surprising that he was zealous in acknowledging the brilliant merit of his son while it had as yet been displayed only in the drama johnson proposed him as a member of the literary club observing that he who has written the two best comedies of his age is surely a considerable man Footnote. sheridan joined the literary club in march seventeen seventy seven the rivals and the duenna were brought out in seventeen seventy five the trip to scarborough on february the twenty fourth seventeen seventy seven and the school for scandal in the following may moore speaking of the duenna says the run of this opera has i believe no parallel in the annals of the drama sixty-three nights was the career of the beggar's opera but the duenna was acted no less than seventy-five times during the season the trip to scarborough was a failure johnson therefore doubtless referred to the rivals and the duenna End of footnote. and he had accordingly the honour to be elected for an honour it undoubtedly must be allowed to be when it is considered of whom that society consists and that a single black ball excludes a candidate Mr. Boswell to Dr. Johnson, July the ninth, seventeen seventy-seven. Footnote: The date is wrongly given. Boswell says that he wrote again on June the twenty-third, and Johnson's letter of June the twenty-eighth is in answer to both letters. The right date is perhaps June the ninth. End of footnote. My dear sir, for the health of my wife and children. I have taken the little country house at which you visited my uncle dr boswell who having lost his wife is gone to live with his son we took possession of our villa about a week ago we have a garden of three-quarters of an acre well stocked with fruit trees and flowers and gooseberries and currants and peas and beans and cabbages etc etc and my children are quite happy I now write to you in a little study, from the window of which I see around me a verdant grove, and beyond it the lofty mountain called Arthur's Seat. Your last letter, in which you desire me to send you some additional information concerning Thompson, reached me very fortunately, just as I was going to Lanark, to put my wife's two nephews, the young Campbells, to school there, under the care of mr thompson the master of it whose wife is sister to the author of the seasons she is an old woman but her memory is very good and she will with pleasure give me for you every particular that you wish to know and she can tell 
pray then take the trouble to send me such questions as may lead to biographical materials you say that the life which we have of thompson is scanty since i received your letter i have read his life published under the name of sibber but as you told me really written by mr shields that written by dr murdoch one prefixed to an edition of the seasons published at edinburgh which is compounded of both with the addition of an anecdote of quinn's relieving thompson from prison footnote johnson describing the fond intimacy of quinn and thompson says the commencement of this benevolence is very honourable to quinn who is reported to have delivered thompson then known to him only for his genius from an arrest by a very considerable present and its continuance is honourable to both for friendship is not always the sequel of obligation End of footnote. the abridgment of murdoch's account of him in the biographia britannica and another abridgment of it in the biographical dictionary enriched by dr joseph wharton's critical panegyric on the seasons in his essay on the genius and writings of pope from all these it appears to me that we have a pretty full account of this poet however you will i doubt not show me many blanks and i shall do what can be done to have them filled up as thompson never returned to scotland which you will think very wise his sister can speak from her own knowledge only as to the early part of his life she has some letters from him which may probably give light as to his more advanced progress if she will let us see them which i suppose she will i believe george lewis scott footnote formerly sub preceptor to his present majesty and afterwards a commissioner of excise malone end of footnote and dr armstrong footnote the physician and poet he died in seventeen seventy nine end of footnote are now his only surviving companions while he lived in and about london and they i dare say can tell more of him than is yet known my own notion is that thompson was a much coarser man than his friends are willing to acknowledge footnote boswell nine years earlier had heard johnson accuse thompson of gross sensuality End of footnote. his seasons are indeed full of elegant and pious sentiments but a rank soil, nay a dunghill, will produce beautiful flowers. Footnote. Savage, who lived much with Thompson, once told me he heard a lady remarking that she could gather from his works three parts of his character, that he was a great lover, a great swimmer, and rigorously abstinent. But, said Savage, he knows not any love but that of the sex he was perhaps never in cold water in his life and he indulges himself in all the luxury that comes within his reach End of footnote. your edition of the english poets will be very valuable on account of the prefaces and lives footnote. 
dr johnson was not the editor of this collection of the english poets he merely furnished the biographical prefaces malone end of footnote but i have seen the specimen of an edition of the poets at the apollo press at edinburgh which for excellence in printing and engraving highly deserves a liberal encouragement most sincerely do i regret the bad health and bad rest with which you have been afflicted and i hope you are better i cannot believe that the prologue which you generously gave to mr kelly's widow and children the other day is the effusion of one in sickness and in disquietude but external circumstances are never sure indications of the state of man i send you a letter which i wrote to you two years ago at wilton and did not send it at the time for fear of being reproved as indulging too much tenderness and one written to you at the tomb of melanchthon which i kept back lest i should appear at once too superstitious and too enthusiastic i now imagine that perhaps they may please you you do not take the least notice of my proposal for our meeting at carlisle footnote dr johnson had himself talked of our seeing carlisle together high was a favourite word of his to denote a person of rank he said to me sir i believe we may at the house of a roman catholic lady in cumberland a high lady sir i afterwards discovered he meant mrs strickland sister of charles townley esq whose very noble collection of pictures is not more to be admired than his extraordinary and polite readiness in showing it which i and several of my friends have agreeably experienced they who are possessed of valuable stores of gratification to persons of taste should exercise their benevolence in imparting the pleasure grateful acknowledgments are due to wellbore ellis agar esq for the liberal access which he is pleased to allow to his exquisite collection of pictures boswell end of footnote though i have meritoriously refrained from visiting london this year i ask you if it would not be wrong that i should be two years without having the benefit of your conversation when if you come down as far as derbyshire we may meet at the expense of a few days journeying and not many pounds i wish you to see carlyle which made me mention that place but if you have not a desire to complete your tour of the english cathedrals i will take a larger share of the road between this place and ashbourne so tell me where you will fix for our passing a few days by ourselves now don't cry foolish fellow or idle dog chain your humour and let your kindness play you will rejoice to hear that miss macleod of rassay is married to colonel muir campbell an excellent man with a pretty good estate of his own and the prospect of having the earl of ludoon's fortune and honours is not this a noble lot for our fair hebridean how happy am i that she is to be an ayrshire 
we shall have the laird of Rasay and old Malcolm and I know not how many gallant MacLeods and bagpipes, etc., etc., at Auchinleck. Perhaps you may meet them all there. Without doubt, you have read what is called The Life of David Hume, written by himself, with a letter from Dr. Adam Smith subjoined to it. Footnote. It is no doubt on account of its brevity that Boswell, in speaking of it, writes what is called the life. End of footnote. Is not this an age of daring effrontery? My friend Mr. Anderson, professor of natural philosophy at Glasgow, at whose house you and I supped, and to whose care Mr. Wyndham of Norfolk was entrusted at that university, paid me a visit lately and after we had talked with indignation and contempt of the poisonous productions with which this age is infested he said there was now an excellent opportunity for dr johnson to step forth i agreed with him that you might knock humes and smith's heads together and make vain and ostentatious infidelity exceedingly ridiculous would it not be worth your while to crush such noxious weeds in the moral garden. You have said nothing to me of Dr. Dodd. I know not how you think on that subject, though the newspapers give us a saying of yours in favour of mercy to him. But I own I am very desirous that the royal prerogative of remission of punishment should be employed to exhibit an illustrious instance of the regard which god's vicegerent will ever show to piety and virtue if for ten righteous men the almighty would have spared sodom shall not a thousand acts of goodness done by dr dodd counterbalance one crime such an instance would do more to encourage goodness than his execution would do to deter from vice I am not afraid of any bad consequence to society, for who will persevere for a long course of years in a distinguished discharge of religious duties with a view to commit a forgery with impunity? Pray make my best compliments acceptable to Mr. and Mrs. Thrale, by assuring them of my hearty joy that the master, as you call him, is alive. I hope I shall often taste his champagne soberly. I have not heard from Langton for a long time. I suppose he is, as usual, studious the busy moments to deceive. I remain, my dear sir, your most affectionate and faithful humble servant, James Boswell. End of section 13